the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. With me today is my co-host, Nadia Oxford. We're back from E3. We're fresh. Hopefully our audio is actually balanced this time. I apologize for the quality of last week's episode. Um, turns out I don't really know how to use microphones. I've only been doing this for <laughs> God knows how long, but I, I think things will be a little bit better this week, but... Yes, trust me. I heard I heard your comments on Twitter. You can stop sending them now. <laughs> oh dear. Yep, but we are here now. We're back in our office, um, fully recuperated. We've we're not going to like dive too deeply into E3 because God knows we did that last week on the previous show. We did that on From Us to You, which you can find over on YouTube and over on iTunes and all of those places. Hint, hint. What we will talk about is we're going to be talking about Grand Kingdom, mm-hmm. which is now out, I think. It is. It is. Yes. I think so. Yes. Um, f- maybe a bad idea to rele- to announce a release date for a game during E3. Yeah. <laughs> Especially can... for a niche game like this, because yeah. just nobody's going to review it. I- I'm in the process of reviewing it right now, but I just, you know, wasn't at the show. It made it kind of hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're also going to have Mike in here in the second segment. We're going to talk about Tokyo Mirage Sharp F.E. <laughs> That's how you pronounce it. This is what I've, I've heard that this is how you pronounce and it. And I, too, have been saying hashtag this whole time. So if you are like me, do not feel sad or guilty. No, it's a sharp. Um, a sharp I used to apparently. play the trumpet. I have some familiarity with music. It's a sharp. Uh, I used to play the clarinet and I still had no idea. I used to play the clarinet. I did. Start a little band. We should. Here's the nerdiest thing I ever did on my trumpet. I figured out how to play the Evangelion theme on it. (laughs) I've heard it with bike horn, so it's got to be better than that. (laughs) Uh, No, no. I I felt pretty good about finding like the proper notes and everything. That is pretty Um, fun. Uh, mm -hmm. That takes a good ear. Oh, thank you. But in any case, uh, one thing I will say about E3, if there's one thing that I get as a takeaway every single year, is that RPGs demo so poorly at E3. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like a given, you know, because it's just by their nature, they're slow paced, they're thoughtful processes that require a heavy degree of investment in your character. Exactly. Um, I was not at E3, but I have been to several events where I've been like expected to try out uh, an RPG, but just kind of standing at a kiosk. And number one, you're standing at a kiosk. You're uncomfortable mm. to begin with. Yes, it's and, not the uh, most comfortable thing. And I think I, the, the thing I demoed recently was... Um, actually, you know what? It was Dragon Quest Monsters Joker 2. It wasn't very recent, but it was a game I was really interested in at the time. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll play this. And of course, Dragon Quest Monsters Joker 2 has his long intro. And you can't exactly get to the action and see what, the, what everything's all about uh, in, a, in a demo process uh, at like E3, where they cut you off for 10 minutes. So thanks for playing. You just got through the intro scene. Uh, go away now. Yeah, when I was at the Square Enix booth, um, there, were, there were kiosks for Final Fantasy XII. 
Dragon Quest Builders, and Final Fantasy XV. Mm-hmm. Final Fantasy XV had the the kind of set piece um, demo that they showed during the PlayStation 4 event mm-hmm. where um, you were fighting against Titan. Right. Um, and they also had the VR thing, which, by the way, can we just briefly talk about how weird it is that they put VR in Final Fantasy XV? Yeah, I can't say I was really aching for a combination of those two things, but okay. Uh, it, it really smacks of throwing things at the wall. And <laughs> I don't, I, I'm wondering if that was even like a Tabata thing. I wonder if that was like corporate mandated. It sure seems like it. I mean, obviously, this is the pure speculation on my part, and this is not journalisming. No, but not officially. Not officially, but I it this my my spidey senses tell me that Sony was offering developers money to put in VR stuff yeah, into their game, I've and heard they said that, we will fund this development. Yeah, and I've heard the VR in Final Fantasy fifteen is not that good. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear too many good things about the experience coming out of it i mean it's just not a good fit um it's, it's, a, it's like totally different fit. it's like a yeah. first person shooter okay that's not why i play final fantasy but okay yeah no it's very strange so i mean there's not there's an undeniable i actually think that vr could actually work in final fantasy mm-hmm. in l- limited sort of ways like it's a compelling universe right oh, absolutely but if you're just shoehorning it in at the last minute you're not going to get anything good I would love to say have a VR demo where I'm like standing on a an airship. That'd be awesome. Like say the high wind and I'm looking out over all of the team members. Um and oh, oh look there's Tifa and wow like okay so like you're kind of imagining almost that you're in that world and it can be like a static thing or you can walk yeah. around on the airship but it wouldn't be much more than a novelty, but it would be a fun novelty. I want a uh, VR experience where you put your face right up against a cactar. <laughs> <laughs> See what happens. But you can't feel anything, though. Not yet. Cause come on, Square, I'm depending on you here. Or you could ride around on a chocobo. I would totally dig that. It would be fun to ride around on a chocobo and just kind of get like a tour. And it's like, oh, look, there are moogles jumping around doing moogly things. And look, there's a Moomba. Yeah, you could do, like, a, a Pokemon Snap experience with Final Fantasy. Um, yes, no, exactly. So there, there's room for this kind of experience, but I don't think that the way it's put into Final Fantasy XV is necessarily really workable. And mm-hmm. in light of where VR stands right now, where, like, Sony's making this giant push toward it, it feels opportunistic in a way that's not particularly becoming particularly becoming of the franchise yep well that's the modern day you gotta just kind of try everything out and uh, if it works great if it doesn't uh don't try it again for a while i guess the spirit of inventiveness The, the spirit of adventure but getting back to what i was saying earlier like i i did not have any great interest in walking up to the kiosks they were actually almost more interesting to watch from a distance. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, it was like, oh, there's Final Fantasy twelve HD. Dang, it looks really good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. I will stand here and watch somebody play it for a little bit. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Um, Final Fantasy fifteen by or Final Fantasy by its nature doesn't really lend itself to action oriented set pieces, which I feel like they were trying to do with this Final Fantasy fifteen demo. Mm-hmm. So eh. 
And I'd say that the RPG that demoed the best at E3 was probably um, Nier. I actually uh, don't know very much about Nier, so I should probably start learning about that. You probably should. Um, Nier Automata, obviously, it's the sequel to the original Nier. Yeah. Um, it's robots. It's androids versus robots. Oh, that's kind of cool. I like the that androids idea. look humanish, mm-hmm. and the robots look like you know the robots. droids from Google. <laughs> they're the cute. mascots. Yeah, they're cute. Um, and it definitely has a platinum action game kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it ended up working was because it was an action game. Uh, this is uh, just just slightly off topic, Cap, but it's been on my mind and since it's almost in the realm of uh, RPGs. Uh, I heard uh, or I read an article recently saying that Nintendo artificially inflated the lines at E3 for uh, Zelda by the way they set things up. But I've heard that they had plenty of consoles, so I don't know. Do you have any insight into that? Um, I saw long lines. Yeah, I heard, the, I heard there was a line to get into the line, but someone was saying that Nintendo engineered it that way to kind of look like there was hype for the game, but there's, I don't know, it seems to me there's I no I don't hype think they the had game. to engineer any hype. No, neither do I, but uh, like, I don't know. I it was there. so crowded. Like, everybody just rushed Nintendo, and the lines were like four hours long. The nerd stampede, take yeah, two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And not only that, but like, on the final day, I think think they closed the line even before the thing opened oh my gosh that was how like crazy it was to get right. into the zelda booth once you were inside the actual booth it was this big open space with mm-hmm. some like a bunch of demo kiosks yeah but and then all the the media and all the business people like made separate appointments and came in like they always have a back area at the Nintendo booth. Yeah. So they have the main Nintendo booth where like all of the, like the public is coming in and playing the games. And then they have the, the back area that you go behind the desk, mm-hmm. you check in, go behind the desk, you go upstairs to kind of a lounge area. And then you see Reggie, Reggie's sitting over there. And there's like <laughs> a door that says Mr. Miyamoto, like their interview, like doors, mm-hmm. the du- like dungeon doors. This is Miyamoto. Yeah. Bring that's your, where, um, that's actually where I ended up interviewing um, Akihiro Hino, the CEO of Level 5. Which, oh, that's cool. Which I will be posting next week. Um, we were talking about Yokai Watch 2, and it, it got a little businessy, but I was kind of fascinated by the like the apparatus that they had set up around um, their games, like that they do every time. Mm-hmm. Where it's like merchandising, cartoons, like just total... Um, total pop culture permeation with yeah. our stuff. And this is their first time trying to import that over to the U.S. Yeah. So we got into that a little bit. Um, I also asked him about Gundam Age. Which, <laughs> of course. Which uh, actually caused him to facepalm in a, like, I can't <laughs> believe she's bringing this up. <laughs> and, oh, God, Gundam Age, why am I talking about this? Nice. But he did say... Uh, I would he he did say that the his main lesson from that was uh retain control <laughs> of what you're working on which I found very interesting. Those, but, those two words say it all retain control. But he is uh, this might just be him projecting confidence but he sure seems confident that Yokai Watch 2 can work here. I'm and not just work here but be as big as it is in Japan. And he thinks that it's going to start with Yokai Watch 2 because he was saying 
Yeah, no, it's following the trajectory that it was in Japan. It sold about the same. The first one sold about the same amount in Japan, but then That's we got true. we got our um like our entire like foundation of like media properties and cartoons and merch down and. Yokai Watch 2 exploded because that's what all the kids knew at that point. And I'm mm-hmm. like, and my first thought was, this is not your first trip to the rodeo, is it? <laughs> you, you've been here a few times before, but the American audience is different than the Japanese audience. Yeah, I think we've had discussions about that in past episodes. Yes, we have. But yeah, anyway, that was a digression. N- Nintendo's booth is very relaxing. So, um, so it, I didn't have a great perspective. I think the upshot of all this is to say that I didn't have a super great perspective on what the actual booth was like, except mm-hmm. um, I saw the lines wrapping around it. Yeah. Well, it was just one of those Nintendo is dying articles, so I guess it was just a, a point <sighs> they were trying to make. Uh, Nintendo is... Um, uh, they're saying that Nintendo manufactured the hype for Zelda. Yes, basically. This game that pretty much everybody knew said was the game of the show. Yes, and much. that nobody could shut up about the entire show because that me. was all anybody talked about all yeah, show was. Exactly. Did you play Zelda? What did you think? Yeah. I I think. Okay, this is another digression. <laughs> Nintendo's fine, yeah. and you know what? Even if the NX is a failure, even if the NX is what pushes them out of console development, they're not going to die. No, they'll be around. They have a lot of money, and they have such valuable properties that, in all honesty, they will they will find some way to survive. It's what Nintendo does. Will it be in a vastly different form? Yes, but I mm-hmm. think video games will be in a very will be in a vastly different form in ten years anyway. Yeah, video games are kind of all of video games is changing very rapidly. Yes, we are. I, 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 I'm sorry to drop a, a, a stupid businessy term in. We're in a period of immense disruption with really the video are. game business, like, and have been for the past five years. And it's not going to stabilize anytime soon. And Nintendo has been riding the waves as best they could. The thing that they have that is their biggest advantage is A, they have beloved properties that will make people stampede mm-hmm. E3 to go play them. And that has not changed. Like, people freaking love Nintendo. Yeah. And also, they have money. They have a lot of cash on hand. Tons of cash on hand that they, they have and been keeping that, for all this time. Yeah, and one thing that's always kind of made me confident about Nintendo's health is the fact that uh, you don't read about them making massive layoffs and and staff cuts, you know? I know that's also partly because of Japanese um, corporate uh, culture, but even Japanese companies like Sony have made cuts, like massive cuts in the past, so it's not something that they would not do if they absolutely could not avoid it, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, uh, a former colleague of mine just got hired on, I, I know multiple people who have recently been hired on to Nintendo, um, hashtag collusion, and... Jelly. Uh, yeah, so it's like, yeah, Nintendo's hiring, they aren't firing. Yeah, exactly. Is, kind of the main point of that um okay continuing onward grand kingdom Mm -hmm. a game that i've been playing have you had much time to play it i've had a few hours um i kind of i pity you because you have to review it and that is a long ass intense game that's the impression i get so far (laughs) it's a big messy game 
it, it is quite messy, but not necessarily in a in a bad way from my perspective. No. I, I gotta. I have to ask you a question. You're playing on the PS4. I'm playing on the Vita. Correct. I feel like this is a Vita game. It. it I could. I could see that being the case. It fits really well on the Vita. Having mm-hmm. said that, how are the load times? I do not notice any huge load times. Are they bad on the Vita? The load times are really getting to me. Oh dear, that's too bad. Um, because it, it's the stuff like when I'm going into the party menu, for example, there will be a load time. Oh no, I don't like think the I loading have screen. That. Okay, and when I, and, and, let's see, that was one that jumped out at me immediately. I I I just notice a fair number of loading screens, like when I'm loading into battles and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I find the game compelling. I just wish it were smoother. Right. I could understand that. Um, the The tutorial really kind of walks you through the basics quite nicely. Yeah, it walks you through the basics, but there's so much going on with this game that I don't think that just having it they do the best they can. I will give mm-hmm. them that. They mm-hmm. they do the best they can with the tutorial, but there's a lot going on that I've had to learn as I go. Right. Stuff like I would open my item bag and I would go, "Why can't I use my items?" <laughs> I had the exact same thing happen to me. It's like, "Okay, where's my healing items?" But no, it's the quest menu instead of the regular menu. Exactly. It's the quest menu. And not only that, it's like some ability some skills are grayed out. Why are they grayed out? Because if you're pl- they only work in a certain kind of mission and they oh. only work against mercenary uh like i don't know if like like there are the mission types called versus mm-hmm. where you're bo- where you're racing against somebody to complete a mission objective and right. i can't tell if it's another person or if it's a ghost of a person no i'm not sure myself either i think that it must be a ghost and i think that they are uh, like if you upload your team into the game, mm-hmm. then the game will drop them into one of those mercenary missions. Oh, okay. and then you can use your skills to like burn them or something or like damage them. Those right. are the that's the only time those particular skills are available. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's talk a little bit about what actually Grand Kingdom actually is. Let's. It's a tactical RPG. Um, has a really uh, kind of animated anime feel to it. Very. Um, you, there are like four countries that are at war with one another. And the way that the game is structured is you are a mercenary group working with a mercenary guild. And you can work for any of these countries taking on missions or joining um, one of their many wars. Mm-hmm. And then as the game goes on, like you accrue money, use that money to hire more mercenaries and you equip them with weapons and everything like there are a ton of different like class types you have mm-hmm. your standard issue like archers and like knights and like pike people yeah lancers the, there are male and female variants that are like actually pretty different there are mages there are arcanists there are yeah. medics um there's a girl who's riding a big ass dragon oh i don't have that yeah <laughs> so on. big in fact that you will that they act, that the dragon actually takes up two party slots. Yeah, that usually tends to be the case with that sort of thing. I think the dragon can be really OP if you get it leveled up high enough. But I imagine it's a dragon. But at this point in the game, I feel like the opportunity cost of not having that extra party member might be too great. 
I'm I can not see, sure. Yeah. I'm not sure the dragon is um, worth it. It's um. Does it ever change from the four person perspective, or like it's always four people? Uh, yes, in your party? but only in a particular circumstance. Okay, so it's not something that like goes on with time. You get another slot or anything like that. No. Okay, so I can see why having the dragon, although really cool, would really put you at a disadvantage if you don't know exactly what you're doing. Exactly. I, I think that I have to have a medic in there just constantly healing that yeah, dragon. I always had to have a medic. Um, plus, I, I think it's really cool that she can throw acid at the enemies. Yeah, no, that's awesome. <laughs> that's, that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, so the way a game is, works is that once you've established your party, you will... Um, so you can take on just basic missions... So, like, I was playing offline a ton initially, mm-hmm. and, like, you can do just single basic missions, or you can go on, like, a story quest. Like, right. there are story quests that, like, advance the story. Um, it's a pretty basic story. You join a mercenary guild, you're taking on missions, you're helping the guild out, um, you're fighting bandits and stuff. Like, you have a rival who's, like, always challenging you to fights. Um, yeah. It's all very <laughs> anime. That's fine. I, I like it. Yeah. Um, it's not, but then when you connect online, like all of the other stuff appears and then Mm -hmm. suddenly it gets pretty interesting because now you got a whole different set of missions called versus missions where you're racing to an objective, as I already mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can also ally yourself. You can sign a war contract with one of the four kingdoms and take on very, you can either detach your troops and they will go out and they will fight missions and earn XP. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's the real kicker: when you call them back, you can, it'll say, "Do you want to see their combat record?" And you go, "Yes." And then you can actually watch them fight. Oh, that's cool! I haven't tried that yet. I've watched a couple times where it's just like I've watched a replay of my my party fighting against other um, against human controlled teams, and like they'll be getting their butts kicked, and I'll be like, "Man, how are they going <laughs> to get out of this?" And then they do, and I'm like, oh, man, you really made mistakes, human player. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh, <laughs> yeah. it's so gratifying. Uh, one thing I guess we should mention is that the battle system itself is very uh, interactive. Um, mm. To make a more recent comparison, it, it's kind of like Valkyria Chronicles, where the fighting itself is controlled by you instead of your, instead of just selecting stuff off a menu. Yes, but it's 2D, and it's Absolutely. not over one big cohesive battlefield. No. S- so the way it works is... You have an overhead map, and you're, like, moving along the overhead map, and each movement is kind of a turn where, mm-hmm. like, everything else moves. Um, and then there are, like, enemies on the map. There, there are enemies on the field. There are merchants. There are, like, medics. There are, like, hidden things that you can uncover. Um, yeah, like, like Items and that kind of thing. Um, there are different objective types, like, defend this thing, um, make it to this particular goal, defeat X number of enemies... And once you get into, when you run into an enemy, it loads into a fight, which takes a little bit on the Vita. And you, sorry, you are now like on three lanes. It's like 2D. There are three lanes. Um, Your party starts in a particular position that you like put together through the formation menu. Mm -hmm. And you see them on the other side and you each, each, each. It goes by turn order, and each party member has an action gauge and a move gauge, so it's like, I can run X amount of distance until my move gauge runs out, um, hack and slash at them a bit, and then um, until my action gauge runs out, and then it moves on to the next person. So you have to 
be smart about how you position your characters. Like there is friendly damage, so you have to be careful Absolutely. about area of, area <laughs> effect stuff. I'm sure that you've run into that problem before. Well, I'll put it this way: the voice actors have specific uh, lines to say sorry for when you hit <laughs> your comrades. Uh, because it will happen oh no it totally happens um and one thing that i quickly discovered is if you try to brute force it at higher levels you will get destroyed Mm -hmm. um hazards like ground hazards are a big deal in this game yeah like spears traps stuff like that yeah like needle traps uh, yeah i stepped on one of those they hurt a lot they hurt a lot and they take away some of your move gauge i think Mm mm-hmm like needle traps, poison traps, um, fire traps. And if you're smart, you can have like a tank guarding a top lane and then have two fire traps below that so that they can't outflank you. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. So my current party is I have um, a blacksmith, which is like this chick with this giant Huge hammer. Ass hammer. And she's, like, really good. She's, like, really powerful and also has great defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and she auto-guards, so she can get pretty, be pretty tough to get around. Mm-hmm. I have a thief whom I'm still leveling up, but has just terrific mobility and can hide and can outflank and backstab and at higher levels can toss needles. So I'm, like, going for a very hazard-centric um, strategy. Mm-hmm. And then I have, <clears throat> I have a... a a mage, like an offensive mage, who can set down the, the fire traps and also hit them with various spells from a distance. Yes. And then I have the sniper. Yeah, I was thinking, my party, I did something really stupid. I didn't uh, have a long-distance attacker in there. Mm, yeah, I think you really need it. You really need it. This game is not a game where you want to rush in. No, absolutely not. I learned that the hard way. I think that most of the time like you need to have that really strong front line and then a really strong back line and you need to use hazards and obstacles as much as humanly possible Mm -hmm. and in that i find it actually to be a pretty compelling like tactical experience um it's interesting and it's fun as you steadily level up and it's and when you are like the, at the higher levels and when you're fighting like much more advanced enemies, like it, it gets pretty gnarly, like trying to break through all of the different obstacles and like all of the different stuff that they set up to try and hinder you from taking them out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because they can set up like shields, they can stand on top of boxes where you can't reach them. Uh, they can be yep. jerks. Yeah, no, it can totally be jerks. Um, my sniper is pretty powerful, though, so, like, that that's not a huge issue. Yeah, <laughs> get off I think, the box. <laughs> I think it's a pretty viable strategy to go extremely hazard-oriented with, like, m- multiple, um, with multiple ranged people. Mm-hmm. You know, like, to go much more heavily ranged than to go in melee. That's a good idea. Like, I have this character, it's like, the dark, they're a dark knight, and they have, like, two swords, and they're, like like really dps oriented kind of a glass cannon and you're like oh these people are awesome but then you realize that they're a little too fragile and it requires them to get a little too close yes exactly which is probably why i never see them anywhere (laughs) (laughs) yeah you definitely want people who are sturdy and can take a few shots yeah, because I had a swordsman, a lancer, uh, a thief, and a healer. And I'm thinking one of those should probably go in favor of a sniper. 
Yeah, probably the uh, Lancer. Yeah, the Lancer, I'm not really noticing any specific benefits over the Swordsman. Um, the best, I would say, is, like, they do some good AoE stuff. Mm-hmm. So they can go in and, like, swing the lance and, like, hit people in multiple lanes. But it kind of requires them to be a little exposed at times. Yeah, exactly. So I, the swordsman, like, is it swords and shield, sword and shield? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those guys are pretty popular because they have good, they have a really good mix of offense and defense. Yeah, and they auto guard after attacking. So that's always good. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So, so that's like the basics of the actual battle system. Um, and then there's also like, when you're on the map, you have like your, your field skills, which can like heal your party. Cause you can't just heal your party. I noticed like you, that. You either have to go to a medic or you have to use a skill or you have to use an item. Mm-hmm. So you have to like take into account like what field skills your party has. Um, and I'm not sure how you do it, but it looks like you can craft field skills and equip them. Oh, I didn't know that. Using grimoires. That's where it's good. That's where it gets confusing. Yeah. I remember looking at the shop menu and it's like, oh, weapons. Oh, armor. What the hell is the rest of this? I have no idea. What, what are these grimoires? Um, like, and then like you can go to a capital, like a faction's capital, and then they have like a bunch of crafting options for you. And, like, faction-specific items. And you can, like, level up your class and learn specific skills if you get the right items. And that's where it starts to get a little messy. Yeah, just a bit. But it's uh, it's a good game, but it's definitely a long-term investment. Oh, definitely a long-term investment. And it takes a while to level up your characters. I noticed that. It's very much a game where you like take on a lot of like side missions and just enjoy building up a party mm-hmm. and experimenting with different combinations. Absolutely. Um, and I, so one thing I didn't touch on is the, like the online aspect is you go to war mm-hmm. and you, and the wars are interesting. Have you tried out the wars? No, I haven't. I think I was a little too intimidated. I, I feel a little intimidated by them now, too, because what happens is there are, like, multiple people bouncing around doing things. <laughs> I don't think they're necessarily people. They might be ghosts. Mm-hmm. And you're, like, all trying to, like, each side has X number of, like, castles, and you're trying to take castles for your side. Mm-hmm. That and... Fun. So you're sitting there defending, and unlike in the other things, the enemies move on their own, so they will come in and attack you whether you're oh, ready or not. Right. So you can kind of pause and, like, look into your skills and stuff, or, yeah. like, access your party menu, but they will come at you pretty fast, so you have to be ready. And usually they're pretty strong. Like, the parties that you're encountering are much stronger than, like, your average CPU party, because they're from actual people, so mm-hmm. they're balanced in a certain way. Exactly. Unless they're stupid. Sometimes you run into <laughs> stupid parties. Like but, four healers? But one of the benefits is that you can actually hire um, mercenaries from other people and build out your team so you have six instead of four. Oh, that's cool. So you have a numbers advantage, which yeah. can be really nice. I have not won any of these battles yet, by the way. Like, the last one I played in, I did really well, but I still lost. You gave it a try. I, I it, it was actually pretty close, but 
Like, the degree of difficulty of, like, capturing enough fortresses is actually pretty high. And I felt like my team wasn't doing super well. So, one thing I definitely take away from this game, even from what I've played, and I've played less of it than you have, is that it's definitely worth the money if you're into strategy games. You get a lot of content. Yeah. I, I like it. I think that, in hindsight, maybe I would have played it on PS4 rather than the Vita. Yeah, because um, I'll be honest, coming off Mighty Number no. 9, which had terrible load times, maybe I'm just kind of like, oh boy, like three seconds, this is nothing. But uh, I could see why uh, getting any sort of load time on the Vita would be really annoying. But to be honest, I don't think the PS4 version has any noticeable load times that I can recall. And on the flip side, but on the flip side, the Vita version, I, I feel like this is a really good example of a portable game. Yeah, because there's so much to do. It'd be fantastic to take with you if you're a commuter. Yeah, um, you lose the online aspect when you're when you're commuting, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's like there's so much to do in single player. It doesn't really matter that much. Exactly. Um, now I'm I'm kind of curious. So now I'm I've hit a point where I have a party that I feel pretty good about. I want to see if the game will push me to a point where I want to change that party. I was kind of wondering about that myself because even though the, like, just thinking about getting rid of one of my guys to put in a sniper, it's like, oh, but I named these guys. I named them all after Dragonlance characters. You can't make <laughs> me take get rid of them. But uh, it, it's interesting when uh, strategy games kind of force you to do that. They they put you in a comfort zone for a long time. And then it's like, hey, you know what? The, the people you have now, they're not going to help you very much from this point on. You have to change. That's the thing that I find the most stressful about um, these kinds of games where you have tons of different classes. Mm-hmm, exactly. Is like, okay, RPGs require a certain amount of investment, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm always kind of nervous. Will my investment be a waste of time because this class actually isn't very good? Or exactly. this class isn't particularly helpful in like the combination that I'm that I'm doing it in? Yeah. Um, and I've actually like shaken up my party a whole bunch. And one result is that I have two like level 13 characters and like two level eight characters. <laughs> so, and by the way, leveling up your characters takes a while. Yeah, I think we mentioned that because uh, to be honest, it really does. Uh, one thing we should have mentioned earlier, though, is that um, when you finish a battle, you do get some of your hit points back, but I'm not sure how that works. Like, it seems like whenever I do really badly at a battle, I seem to get more rewards for it. Versus when mm. I do really well, I don't understand. <laughs> it's one yeah, of those mysterious know. things. Um, yeah, it's actually surprisingly forgiving in that respect. If you die, the game, the mission's not over. It'll mm. just give you a penalty. Yes. And a lot of the time, you're racing against the penalty, uh, racing against the clock. And some of the missions will actually let you reduce the number of turns that you get per mission to something like instead of like 130 you get like 70 and a turn is moving on the map yes and battles can take turns as well so you get so if you put it at the high at the lowest level you can get like a 25 percent experience boost and like gold boost and stuff which is really nice yeah it would be but it becomes like a serious waste of time and you have to use your skills to to traverse the map like pretty pretty frequently if you want to succeed Uh, I guess the upshot of all this is that this game does a lot of really interesting and inventive things with the tactical RPG genre. It's not quite like anything that I've played to this point. Yeah, me neither. But you're the strategy person. uh, And if you say that there's nothing quite like it, then I believe you on that regard. (laughs) I 
I respect it for its inventiveness mm-hmm, and its ambition. That said, when I'm leveling up my party, I'm never quite sure whether what I'm leveling up exactly, because it gives you points and you can put them into stats, but you're not getting feedback about how that stat's growing. Yeah, I know what you mean. You're not directly influencing stats. You are influencing how the stats grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is a difference, and it's confusing. And it doesn't tell you how to get skills for your party. As far as I can tell, they get skills automatically. But my first thought, as they level up, but my first thought was, do I need to put enough points into a particular stat to unlock a particular ability? Yeah, exactly. Uh, So, no, I don't think so. I think you just get it by leveling up. Yeah, because I noticed... um when you level up and you get your points, it's like a ma- like it's hard to explain. Like it's a matter of you can you get the opportunity to improve your grade score mm-hmm. in that particular category. Mm-hmm. So you're as you say, you're not really leveling up the category itself. You're just making it so that when you do level up, you I guess you gain more points in that category. You know what I mean? Like it, it it's kind of I I definitely don't grok the whole thing. <laughs> Well, yeah. So, and and that's where I come from when I say that it's kind of a big, messy game. Mm-hmm. Um, still recommend it, but I think you need to be prepared to put some in, like to invest in this game. And like the access- accessibility isn't super great, but it is very pretty. It is a very nice looking game, and it's deeper than I initially feared that it would be. <laughs> yeah. So with that, I think we both kind of recommend this game, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as I said, it's a you you really get your money's worth. You have your online component, you have your single player campaign. Um, you will have to invest the time in it and probably look up some FAQs, but uh, it's it's well put together despite it being kind of messy. It's it's interesting in that regard. And for what it's worth, I am actually enjoying it on the Vita, and I like the portability of it like i think that the kind of instanced gameplay when you're like going from battle to battle and mission to mission works pretty well on the vita mm-hmm. and i basically played it non-stop when i was road tripping back from vegas on monday and and it was good in that regard like i would get kind of tired of it and i'd be like Ugh, and i would put it away and then i would start thinking about oh i really want to try out this party member uh, yeah exactly and that's and that's how it starts, right? Yeah, exactly. You, you kind of ha- break up with it for a couple hours, and you're like, you start thinking about it again, and you inevitably go back to it. Indeed. So I will be posting my full review of Grand Kingdom on Monday. But yeah, I, I think that right now I can give it a cautionary thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have Mike Williams here joining the show now. And Mike, while we were playing um, Grand Kingdom, you were playing Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp FE, which I think I pronounced properly. <laughs> that it's a it's a bit of a mouthful to say the least. 
Yeah, because the the trick of of the the title is is that uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions, uh, if you bring it down to the acronym, is TMS, which is SMT backwards. Oh, those clever monkeys! Yeah, and then the sharp FE is is musically inclined, but the FE is of course fire Fire emblem. emblem. Yeah, I preferred it when it was SMT cross fire emblem. Yeah, Yeah, it was it was easier that way. So I, I get that they wanted to kind of divorce it a little bit from Fire Emblem, mostly because they don't actually have that much in common, but I think they made it needlessly confusing. People who were anticipating SMT cross Fire Emblem, I think, didn't even realize that it had become Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's not it's not a a really a combined version of both games. It's sort of different. Yeah. All right, Mike. So you've been playing Tokyo Mirage Sessions. You posted your review in progress on the site, which you can go check out right now. And you seemed really positive on it. So what about it? What about this game do you really like so far? Uh, the easiest way to explain it, and it's the way I explained it in the uh, in my preview and partially in the review, is it really what they created um, is a persona light game like it feels very much like a persona game in that uh persona is sort of a a a, i wouldn't i say lighter offshoot of the shin megami tensei games uh with uh turn-based rpg combat uh usually very young uh high school age characters uh, it, it has a specific style of feel, and, and Tokyo Mirage Sessions feels a lot like it's in that vein. Um, it has flavoring from Fire Emblem, notably in the form of the Mirages, which are, uh, and see again, is the, the game's personas, so to speak. They're, they're spirits that are attached to each of the main characters, and all of the Mirages are Fire Emblem characters either from the first Fire Emblem game or uh, Fire Emblem Awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, but this whole, uh, like, the, the basic setup, uh, how the characters uh, play out, and, and the feel of the dungeons very much so, uh, in that every dungeon is themed based on, uh, in this version it's based on the villain's uh, sort of psyche or, or personal drive. Whereas in Persona, it's usually based on uh, whatever uh, character you're trying to save or somewhat are their psyche. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a Persona game. It really is. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Persona's a thing. Um, and it also, in terms of the battle system, follows in the footsteps of your traditional Persona game in that it relies heavily on seeking out the weaknesses of an enemy and then using sessions to follow up um, with different attacks. Am I right? Yes. And so so it, the weaknesses system is based partially on Fire Emblem's weapon triangle and partially on the elemental weaknesses found in the Shin Megami Tensei and Persona games. And the idea is if you use... Uh, you have different skills. You have regular command skills, which are, you know, you use it, it either heals, it attacks, it does something. Uh, then you have session skills, which build off of uh, another party member's command skills. So when you use a command skill that actually uh, 
exploits a weakness, it can trigger session skills for the rest of your party. And so the idea is usually to build on uh, opponent weaknesses and session skills to create long session combos, uh, which deal free damage because uh, every successive hit in a session combo uh, doesn't cost any SP. It doesn't count as uh, attack for any of the adjoining characters. And, and how does the carnage system work? So the current, they call it the carnage system. It's, it's really just an alternate name for a weapon system. So every, 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 uh, uh, mirage, uh, when they combine with their mirage master, uh, which is their, their chosen character, uh, they turn into a weapon. Uh, so like Chrom. Like you do. T- turns into <laughs> a falchion, uh, which is used by the main character Itsuki. So falchion is the base level of that weapon that carnage and then as you play through the game uh, and defeat enemies you get more crafting materials they call them performa and then you can use those to upgrade the weapons to the next level which so like uh, I think Krom's next level up is the iron sword and each level has different skills that it unlocks as you use that weapon more so uh, you basically use one weapon, keep using it, leveling it up. Uh, once you have what they call full inheritance, you've maxed out that version of the weapon. Then you upgrade it to the next level and repeat the process to unlock all the skills for that character. Is the way that it's structured um, kind of a traditional RPG in that like it's a telling a story, there are dungeons, that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. No, it's 100%. Uh, it's... 100% pretty traditional, uh, and there's a lot of extra side quests that are uh, basically there to provide more highlights to each of the characters, like give you a little bit more backstory, help you understand them a little bit more. Uh, but the base game is 100% straightforward from point A to point B. You seem really positive on the the, the characters. Like, what what about the characters? Do you like? Do you like? I just think they're fun. They're just, uh, I mean, they're, it's not like they're they're super uh, deep. It, it's all very, <laughs> as I like to say, anime. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they definitely fall into their broad trips, but they're all very fun characters uh, to be around. Uh, Barry Goodman is, like, one of my favorites. He's a, a trainer who used to be a big star and uh, ended up getting stuck in Japan and becoming a fanboy and gaining a little bit of weight. So, uh, <laughs> I would so too. It's basically this big American dude who speaks Japanese and wears magical girl t-shirts, uh, <laughs> training you. And unfortunately, he's not playable, but he is a, a, a big part of the supporting cast. I want a spinoff for this character. <laughs> I agree. Uh, the the big American who wears magical girl t-shirts um, lives in all of our hearts here on Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> I think we're all a little bit like him inside. Yes. So it's it's uh, all the other characters. You know, there's like uh, uh, your cold Ojo-sama, like like she's very uh, mentor-like and leader-like, but kind of cold. But then you take her. They're called intermissions, uh, intermission missions, and uh, you find out that she actually likes cute things. She just doesn't want to get into it. <laughs> she would think it would destroy her image. That Sundari. Um, 
Yes, see, and there you go. Soon there, you, you talk about that stuff, and and they're they're all very broad characters, but they're a lot of fun, and there's some depth if you're willing to do their extra missions. How much does the actual idol stuff fill in? Fit in? Are you doing like musical segments or that kind of thing? Uh, some, but like it's it. After playing it, it's kind of overplayed because only two of the actual characters are idols. Um. Tsubasa, the main character's uh, childhood best friend, and um, the Ojosama lady I was, uh, Kiria, who I was talking about before. Those are the only two that are actual idols. Uh, everyone else is actually a, a, well, Itsuki is technically an idol training, but he has no real drive. He's kind of a blank slate. <laughs> but then there's a, uh, Variety show, like a kids' variety show host. Uh, Toma, the like best friend of Itsuki, is uh, wants to be a tokusatsu stuntman. Um, Eleonora wants to make it big in Hollywood. Uh, so, and then there's Yashiro, who's sort of a um, all around. He can sing, he can dance, he can act. Um, so. There are, especially with Tsubasa, there is stuff about idols, and there are musical numbers, but that's not really the focus of the game. It's more about entertainment and creative drive. Especially once you start getting to the enemies who are like composers and directors and <laughs> and, and other musicians. So, My first thought looking at this game is it's... It looks really nice, like a it's characteristic of Atlas and um, how stylized it, uh, the, the the graphics and everything are. Um, and my second thought is that it's a real shame that this game is going to get totally buried. Yeah. Uh, so so this came out in Japan and it sunk like a stone. Aww. And uh, I honestly think it sunk like a stone because, for the most part, it's. Um, this is a game that probably should have been on PS4. That's pretty much how that goes. The Wii U just doesn't have a large enough install base to to really make this work. Yeah, it's kind of a niche title, definitely. And I would go a little further than that, actually. I think that it could have worked well on the Wii U if it had come out two years ago. Um, at this point, we're nearing the end of the Wii U's life cycle... Uh, like a, a lot of like it has a really loyal audience. I don't know if they're necessarily the type that would go in for persona uh, sharp fe. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, yeah, I, I just don't but, think there's like an overlap there with the the Wii U audience. Uh, I don't know. I've met a lot of JRPG people who are like pretty much exclusively Nintendo, um, and then they have like they have a 3ds that they play a lot of RPGs on. Maybe they have a Vita. Uh, like they'll like cross over to Sony, but they they will be pretty loyal to Nintendo. So I do think that there's definitely some crossover going on there. I, and I think that it's really workable on the Wii U. I just think that it came out too late in its life cycle, and it came out at the wrong time of year. It should have come out in like March. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see the the Nintendo fans uh, for a 3DS on JRPGs, but the Wii U has just been kind of like dead for that. I, it's kind of sad, really. Well, I mean. We would kind of need 
th- that's the thing. That's the reason I wish it had come out a couple of years ago was because if it had come out a couple of years ago, the Wii will you wouldn't have felt as dead. Yeah. Like kind of to f- to not feel dead, it needs RPGs, and this is the kind of game that would fill that niche rather nicely. I, I think it just um it 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 just feels destined to not get the attention that it probably deserves, which is too bad. Um, we're giving it attention though, and <laughs> I feel like this is kind of the game that you're gonna want to pick up quick before it goes out of print. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably one of those, um, uh, what was it, The Last Story and uh, Xenoblade Chronicles. Yeah. Pandora's I think Tower. the difference between this and Xenoblade Chronicles is that Xenoblade Chronicles had a massive movement to actually get the thing published over here behind it. And not only that, but it was, I mean, it was basically published by Nintendo, like from a second party studio. Whereas this is, even though this has a crossover with a kind of a nominally Nintendo pro, um, franchise. It's also, it's very much an Atlas game. And if any, I, I've said this before, um, and the game is what it is, but I kind of wish that it had been Fire Emblem with Persona elements. Mm-hmm. Like it might've been kind of interesting if they had done the Fire Emblem setting, not in a fantasy world, but in Tokyo. Yeah, that'd be kind of neat. Like, one thing I was wondering is, as someone who, uh, much to Kat's disgust, has not really touched much in the way of Persona, <laughs> could I get into uh, this sharp FE? Yes, because all of the, like, it's very Persona-like, mm-hmm. but there's no, I mean, there's probably some enemy, like, extra, like, throwaway enemies, but there's not really a lot of callbacks Two old Persona or SMT games. Right. Uh, all of the callbacks, uh, well, I mean, other than like spells and stuff, um, are to Fire Emblem. All of the, the characters, the mirages and stuff are, are all Fire Emblem characters. And then the entire main cast is all new. So, right. So you don't really need to know really either of them. Uh, but it it sort of helps from a fan service perspective to know Fire Emblem, right? It's kind of like, uh, like it's kind of like the Devil Survivor games or the like SMT four even or like uh, it's a like a lot or Strange Journey. It's a lot like a lot of SMT games in the sense that it stands alone, mm-hmm. and so you don't have to have a ton of familiarity with the series to be able to enjoy it on its own merits. Uh, so in in that respect, no, yeah, I agree with Mike. You you don't need to have um kind of a background in the series. Like that's actually one of the strengths of SMT is that one game is as good as any other in terms of a starting place. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that Persona Five is the fifth game in the series, it is only tangentially related to the previous games. Um, it's theme like thematically related. Like, there's a lot of similarities, but, like, the story and the cast right. and some of the mechanics are different. The setting's different. Um, they exist in the same universe, but they only kind of occasionally cross o- over. Um, these are meant to stand alone, and Sharp FE is very much in that category. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't... And, and to be honest, even uh, outside of the, the main character, Mirages, 
some of the villains and stuff, uh, even if you've, you've played Fire Emblem before, you may miss who they're supposed to be. So, uh, <laughs> it's, it's because they've all, all, all of the villains have been, uh, as I put, Shin Megami'd out. Uh, like super stylized, super, yeah, super stylized, weird looks, uh, to them. Uh, they like brought some of those Fire Emblem characters over into that, that persona style. So, um, you may even know Fire Emblem, but we'll miss all that stuff. So I, at this point, it, and I, I think that would work out if this game really had a larger install base. I like if the system, because you really don't need either of them to sort of play this game. Uh, maybe, I don't know. It's such an odd idea. And I don't think that the, I think the messaging was off point from the start with this game. Because, like, people didn't even know what the heck it was, right? Yeah. Like, initially, they were like, Shin Megami Tensei Cross Fire Emblem. Oh, that could be interesting. And then it became, like, an idol game. Uh, and that was the first thing people thought was idol game. It's, like, idol stuff. What the heck is going on here? And so, a lot of people wrote it off almost from the start. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that, I don't think this game ever really was able to shake that. And then add on the fact that I don't think it got a lot of marketing, um, it makes me think that it wouldn't have succeeded even on the PlayStation 4. It, it is what it is. Like, I think that there is a scenario where this game could have gotten a lot more hype. And I don't think that just because it doesn't get, it's not getting any hype means that it's a bad game. It just means that it's flying under the radar mm-hmm. a lot. And uh, on the Fire Emblem front, I'll admit that I'm not even thinking about the Fire Emblem aspect of this game. Like, that doesn't even cross my mind. Because when I look at it, I don't see Fire Emblem, like, at all. Like, I know that the characters are in there, and, like, it takes a lot of aspects from Fire Emblem, but I see kind of your standard issue uh, JRPG, like, set in, like, modern-day Tokyo, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, It's something that SMT does incredibly well when Mm -hmm. it wants to. I just don't see Fire Emblem at all. And maybe I gotta play it some more. Maybe you do. Mm, yeah, I, 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 I would stick with that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've played Fire Emblem, Mike. Um, yeah. You would, I would even say you're kind of a fan of the series. I am, um, but uh, yeah, no, it, I'd, I'd stick with that feeling because, uh, like I said, the the Fire Emblem characters that are there uh, have been Shin Megami, so. I mean, Marth's not even in it. Uh, if you, if oh, you yeah. don't have Marth, That's crazy. Maybe he's the final boss. I want to say I've seen pictures uh, where I believe Marth is one of Itsuki's uh, costumes that you can pick up. I want Marth and Roy to be the final bosses. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Bring this, just bring this all back full circle. Absolutely. But like, even Krom, if like, like you can probably guess that it's Krom, but if no one told you you'd be like that's crumb it's got nice earrings okay all righty then so uh yeah no it it, you yeah it's hard to look at this and say yeah that's that's fire emblem yeah it's interesting experiment um i'm not surprised i mean you can always trust atlas to zig when you expect them to zag (laughs) with one of their games like they just have a very strong voice and they have a very strong 
uh, approach their games, and they weren't going to change that, despite e- even if they were going with something that was crossing over with something that's just so completely different from what you would ordinarily expect uh, from them. I no, I I will say that I think that there's some thematic overlaps between Fire Emblem and SMT, but it's not really seen that there. But regardless, I don't want to be too hard on this game because God, I think people should go out and play it. It looks awesome. No, yeah, it's a good game. And if you have a Wii U, hooray, you have a JRPG. That's awesome. <laughs> yes, everyone wins. Yeah, exactly. I, I wish this game had come out like two, three years ago when people were still like focused on the Wii U and the Wii U was still a thing and it wasn't in its like death throes. But whatever, I have this water under the bridge, go pick it up like before it goes out of print because it's going to go out of print and it's going to be really expensive. So that's my final word on that. Any final words from you, Mike? Uh no no not not other than yeah please go go play it if you have a Wii U, um <clears throat> I don't think it's like a, a game this is the game that you pick up a Wii U for but yeah if you got a Wii U hey this is a JRPG for you and as I said in my review um if you're waiting for Persona Five and you have a Wii U this is the game that will tide you over until then. Good Wii U games are always welcome Absolutely. in this day and age. Um, and that's a good segue into talking about something else that's Atlas related. So when I was at E3, um, I got this hat. Um, it's from Morgana the cat, who's a really cute Aww. mascot. Um, I have way too much video game swag. I am giving away this hat. And the way that you can get this hat if you want it is either send me an email or, um, a really, really clever video or tweet or something like you maybe photoshopped um, explaining why your pet would be an amazing RPG companion. <laughs> and I- I'm really curious to see what you come up with. My favorites will go on the site and I will also send or I'll read responses on the, on the, on the show and the winner gets the hat. Um, along with a nice piece of Persona 5 art that maybe you can frame or something um, that I also got from the show. So send me your emails slash photoshopped images slash videos slash whatever. Get creative, have a little fun, and we will uh, take a look at the results either next week or the week after. Oh, and on another note, I'm going to Japan in a couple weeks. So that's going to be a lot of fun. But don't worry, the show is going to keep going. Um, I am recording another crossover episode with 8-4, so that's oh, going to be a lot of fun, that's too. Awesome. In the meantime, Axe of the Blood God is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere that you can find a podcast, SoundCloud, and the like. I'm going to look into getting it onto Google Play. Um, of course, you can reach me at the underscore catbot on Twitter. You can reach Nadia at Nadia Oxford on Twitter and Mike at Automatic Zen. And, of course, make sure to go on our Twitch channel, our YouTube channels, US GamerNet and US GamerNet, respectively. Uh, we are hosting another podcast. I uh, mentioned it at the beginning of the week or at the beginning of the episode, From Us to You. That's our video slash audio podcast. You can, if you don't want to just watch it on video, you can subscribe to it on our old From Us to You feed. It's still alive. I want to get the word out because... <laughs> We are doing episodes. We're doing them on a weekly basis. I know because I'm editing them. So go and check that out. Uh, is there anything else that I needed to promote? I, I guess know. there are E3 awards. Yeah. E3 awards, yeah. Um, other things. Uh, and you're doing a stream, right? Yeah, I'm doing a stream in like, 
um, yesterday uh, when people hear this. <laughs> but it'll be archived. It will be archived. And it is RPG related. It's about um, the fall of four contraptions. I'm going to try and build a military industrial complex using the guide that Bill Lavoy, who is our guides guy that you don't really see, but because he, he kind of like works in the background. He's Batman. We all love him. He, he's awesome. Uh, he built, he did this amazing like three part guide to building like all of these different factories. And I didn't even know you could do this in Fallout 4. So I'm like really excited to go and build like a whole factory complex in um, one of my, my villages. So that is a thing that I am going to do. Oh, and next week I'm writing a cover story about arcades. It's going to be really good. Awesome. So in any case, um, if you want to reach me, you can find me in all of those channels, but you can also reach me at cat.bailey.usgamer.net or send me a message on usgamer.net. Until then, I've been Cat Bailey. Thanks to Nadia and Mike for coming around. And until next time, happy adventuring. Happy adventuring.